things might come to your mind, like, man, you must be old. Uh, that is correct. Uh, the, the arch was completed in October of 1965, built between 63 and 65. And, and I can just barely remember, probably it was the, the summer of 65, uh, going to St. Louis to a Cardinals baseball game and seeing that uh, arch being built and, and seeing the two pillars of the arch straining their way, stretching their way to the sky, straining to meet together uh, in the middle. If you've never been there, I'd encourage you to go sometime to the arch. It really is cool. And if you do, I would even encourage you to watch the video on how it's built. Now, if you're afraid of heights, uh, and I'm just mildly, not real bad, but that video will make your palms sweat and it'll make your stomach turn just watching it. But uh, but it's cool video. But I remember that video makes some a couple comments. It said that the strength of the arch is in its in its two pillars. In fact, they are so strong that it is designed to handle a hurricane force wind and only move a half inch. Now, if you've ever been up in the arch, you would swear that it's moving a whole lot more than a half inch, even if the wind's not blowing hurricane force. But, but, but that's what they say it is. And the strength is found in those pillars. They're 54 foot wide at the bottom. And, and as they go up, they taper to at the very top 17 feet. The, the strength is there, so the ability to stand against whatever nature can throw at it, uh, the, the arch will stand. We're going uh, to, to continue today in our, our series in John, but more specifically our, in our, John, uh, our series in John chapter 3. We've been looking uh, at a series called Three on Three, and today we're going to look, actually today and next Sunday as well, we're going to look at Three on Three, the truth. We'll look at two pillars that, that Jesus lays out in John chapter 3, two, two pillars that, that we can stand on. If we, we stand on these pillars and we let them be strong in our life, then no matter what the world may throw at us, no matter what winds may blow in our life, whether it's trials or temptations or struggles or hardships, no matter how hard, we will be able to face those. So today we'll look at one of those truths and finish the second one next week. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we've gone from verse 1 up to verse 16 last week. Today we're going to go verse 17 to 21. Today and next week, verses 17 to 21. But before you read that, let me, let me just do a quick overview. If you've not been here the last couple of weeks, just to remind you of what we looked at thus far. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked in verses 1 to 3, or really 1 to 15, and, and we, looked at, uh, we, we looked at 3 on 3, the question. Nicodemus had asked a, a question of Jesus. It was somewhat of a veiled question. Really was asking Jesus, what do I need to do? What, what, what do you want of me? And Jesus gave a question or answered that question in such a way that he had no idea what he was talking about, but he truly answered the question uh, of what he needed to know is that God uh, sent a son and that you need to be born again. Last week we looked at uh, three on three, the message in verse 16 that God, that, that it there tells us about God, that he loves us and he gave his son. Uh, and, and then it touches our, our deepest needs to belong and to live beyond. And so today, we're going to look at the truth uh, and, and look at that first pillar. So if you have your Bibles, verse 17 of John chapter 3 says this. For God, let me go ahead and read verse 16 too, because really, you need to tie those together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe 
stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of, of God's one and only son. This is the perfect light or the verdict. Excuse me. This is the verdict light which has come into the world. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly and that whatever he does has been done through God. Here's the first truth. Uh, and the reality is these truths are these truths are simple. Now, now remember, we've talked about the last few weeks who Jesus was talking to. His, his response here was to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a, a, a Pharisee. Nicodemus' job was to study Old Testament law. Nicodemus's job was to study Old Testament prophets. And in fact, you, you, maybe you'll appreciate Nicodemus a little bit more. Nicodemus' job was, was to study books like Leviticus and Numbers. Uh, have any of you ever read Leviticus and Numbers all the way through? Uh, some of you have. There, if you haven't, I would challenge you go to Leviticus this afternoon and just try to read that. It, it's boring. Okay, let me just put it. It is hard stuff to read, but that's what Nicodemus did. His his job was to study that, and he loved studying that and, and understanding it. And, and so Jesus was talking to a guy that knew the law in uh, frontwards and backwards. He knew its, its intricacies. And yet when he talked to him, when he answered that, that question, when he told him what he needed to know, when he gave him this pillar, it was really just simple. It was simple. And, and this, this is what he said. This is that first pillar. Uh, he said, we have a Savior. We have a Savior. That's what he wanted to know, that there is a Savior. Interestingly, I'm not sure that Nicodemus had given much thought, had given much thought to this idea that he needed a Savior. Remember, I made a comment. Nicodemus was all about the law. He was all about studying the law. And, and, and in Nicodemus's mind, and, and he's not all that much different than us sometimes, in Nicodemus's mind, his salvation was coming from what he was doing his salvation was coming from remembering the law and keeping the law and understanding the law and being obedient to every little part of the law so so nicodemus when when jesus made this statement we have a savior nicodemus was probably thinking well i've never really even given much thought to needing to be saved uh I, i've mentioned each of the last two weeks we'll say it again today possibly next week we're a little bit like nicodemus we have a lot of characteristics like Nicodemus, and one of those might be that maybe you've not given a whole lot of thought to the fact that you need to be saved. Stop and think about that. Do you, have you given much thought to needing salvation yourself? Now, now, maybe you're here today because you love the band. I, hey, I come to church because I love to hear the band rock out. And that's pretty cool. Maybe you're here today because you love the people. Uh, we got a bunch of great people in the church, and you, you're here because you just love to see people, and, and that encourages. Maybe you're, maybe you're here today because you love being part of something that's, that's just a little bit bigger and grander than you, and, and, and that's a great reason to be here. Maybe you're here today because your mom and your dad made you come, or your wife made you come, or your husband made you come. Maybe you're here today, and you don't have any idea why you're here today. And maybe you've not really given much thought to the idea that you need a Savior. I'm fairly confident that Nicodemus hadn't given a whole lot of thought to that. He didn't need saving because he had already got it figured out. He knew the law was going to save him. 
And I'm pretty sure he hadn't given a whole lot of thought that, that the world needed saving. So if you catch nothing else today, if you catch nothing else today, would you at least catch this idea that we have a Savior? And, and implied with that, it's, it's not implied, it's really stated, but it's, it's not stated in actual words there. Uh, what's implied is that if we have a Savior, then we need saving. If we have a Savior, then we need to be saved from something. Now, now remember, uh, Jesus is talking to a Pharisee, and he knew all about following laws. And, and if you broke a law, then you were guilty. If you broke a law, then you were a lawbreaker. In fact, uh, th- there were a whole bunch of laws in the Old Testament, some of them some of them kind of strange, some of them kind of, kind of weird. On Sabbath, on the holy day, which for them was Saturday, if, if you worked, if you did something that could, could be interpreted as work, even if you walked too far on a Sabbath day, you were a lawbreaker, you were guilty. Do you realize that if you went swimming and you threw your swimming trunks in a bag and then forgot about it, and a week later you pulled them out and there was mildew on those swimming trunks. Moms, you ever had that happen to your kids? You pull it out and there's mildew on that. Do you realize that according to Old Testament law, if you didn't, if you didn't go to the priest and show your mildewy swimming trunks to the priest and, and then follow a whole bunch of other rules, if you didn't do it exactly right, then you were guilty? You were a lawbreaker? Isn't that weird? Isn't that kind of strange? Do you realize that if you talk back to your mom and dad, that, that, that if you disobeyed your mom or dad, now we know that one, of course, but you were guilty. You were a lawbreaker. If, if you went on a keto diet and ate bacon, because that's the staple of a keto diet, then you're guilty. You're a lawbreaker. Did, did you, farmers here, did you know that if you planted two different types of seed in a field, I don't know why you would do that, but if you planted half your field in wheat and half your field in barley, according to the law, you're guilty. You were a law breaker. That, so so that's, where Nicodemus, that's where Nicodemus was coming from. He understood this idea that if you didn't do things just right, then you were guilty of breaking the law. And so Jesus says to him, he says, first of all, hey, we have a Savior. And, and this is how he describes that Savior. We have a Savior who doesn't. We have a Savior who doesn't. Notice what he says there in uh, verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world. What did he say? He did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. We have a Savior who doesn't condemn. Now, you thought Nicodemus was confused back in chapter 3, verse 3, when he said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. You, you thought that confused Nicodemus. Now he was downright mystified. What in the world are you talking about, Jesus? Nicodemus' whole life was about knowing what the law was so that you could be careful not to break the law because once you broke it, you were guilty, you were condemned. And now Jesus is saying, hey, hey, God sent this Savior to the world and he doesn't condemn. He doesn't condemn. For, for some of you, for some of us, that's, that's a foreign idea, isn't it? 
that Jesus came and his purpose wasn't to condemn us. When I was in college, I worked at, uh, I was going to Ozark Christian College, but I worked at Missouri Southern State uh, College then, it's university now. Uh, I worked at uh, Missouri Southern, and I, I worked in the cafeteria. I was a dishwasher. Uh, didn't pay great, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, actually, I enjoyed it. I, I didn't mind washing dishes. So, uh, But there was something that would be said while we were working, and if this was shouted out, if this was said, it would send all the employees into a panic. And if someone ran into the kitchen and yelled these words, we would everyone would begin to scurry about and things would happen and everyone was terrified. The manager just, he just went crazy. If someone stepped into the, 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 the kitchen area and hollered, the food inspector's here. If the food inspector showed up, we knew what that meant. The food inspector was there to catch us doing something wrong. At least that's what really we thought. The truth was they're there to kind of protect the students from what we might do. But, but we thought that food inspector, so we would scramble. We were supposed to wear hairnets. We never wore a hairnet, even dishware. But we would find those hairnets or hats to put on, food would be covered up, tables would be cleaned. And See, our thought was the food inspector there was there for one reason, was to catch us. He was there to find one guy that didn't have a hairnet on and say, right, scribble something on his little book and say, gotcha, you broke a rule. Or, or to walk into the walk-in cooler and see one pan that wasn't covered correctly and mark something down, gotcha, you blew that. Or to walk over to, to a counter and there's a bowl of lettuce sitting there and it's not sitting in ice and mark that down, gotcha. Or to walk over to the dishwasher and test the the temperature of the water in the dishwasher. Oh, it's not warm enough. Gotcha. And I wonder, I, I've got to believe this is where Nicodemus was. I, I, wonder, I wonder if some of us see God that same way and, and think that that's why he sent Jesus. Gotcha. I, I wonder if we, we, we don't think a little bit that, that he, that, that he watches over and hears us. And, and so if we say just one bad word, <laughs> you said a word you shouldn't. Gotcha. Or, or we think one thought that we shouldn't. We, uh, guy, you see a pretty girl and, and your mind wanders where it shouldn't go a little bit and G- Jesus there to, gotcha. You, you, you talk to someone, they come up and you're real pleasant to them and they walk away and you're like, man, do you know what they did last week? And God just pops up, checks that off, gotcha. You said last week you were sick and that's why you didn't come to church, but you were just lazy and you slept in, gotcha. See, I wonder if we see God and we don't see God and and we don't think he's a little bit like Lottie Borland. And I know you're thinking, who in the world is Lottie Borland? Lottie Borland was a lady in my home church. And my home church had... Uh, somewhere in our church, we had the, I think we might have it here. Uh, do we have the Ten Commandments? Is that on that back wall? Is that Ten Commandments back there? Anyone? No one's going to turn around and look? Right there behind you? Is that that Ten Commandments? Okay. My home church had the Ten Commandments somewhere on a wall in our church. And I'm not so sure they didn't, someone go in there and scribble, at, uh, scribble down an Eleventh Commandment. Because we had a commandment that everyone knew that you 
you just didn't break this law. This, this was right up there with the, the 10. Maybe just a smidge and blow this 11th commandment, and this is what it was. And I bet Troy Christian Church had that back years ago. Uh, and some of you might still think this is the, this is a part of the commandment as well. This was the, the 11th commandment in my home church. No running in church. Was that anyone, was that a commandment in Troy Christian? Some of you long time people here. It was in my home church. I, in, in fact, I think in 1967, there, there was a special meeting of the church, a special, uh, gathering together, and they, they decided that it was okay to run in church as long as you did it in the basement. I mean, there was a lot of debate on that, but they decided you could run in the basement as long as it wasn't on Sunday. You could do it on weekdays and special Sunday nights, but never, never, never could you run in the sanctuary. Never run in the sanctuary. You couldn't even walk fast in the sanctuary. If someone's walking out and you start, hey, 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 there's someone that would look at you and and kind of give you a dirty look because you walked fast in the sanctuary. That was, that was our role in the sanctuary. So, so it was one, it was one, uh, one Wednesday night in the summer, and we were having a, a, a youth gathering. We were there just playing games and, and goofing off. We're going to have a little lesson later on. And we were, some of us were playing outside. Some of us were inside. I don't know. I was about fourth or fifth grade. And, and, and we, we, we went into the basement. And it was Wednesday night, so we could run in the basement. So it's kind of cool. And what was really cool is, we, we were progressive, we were liberal, because the Baptist church wouldn't even let you run in the basement. And what their leaders didn't know was a lot of Baptist kids came to our church on Wednesday so they could run in the basement. I think that's the only reason they come. Hey, it's church, we can run. So, so, so I'm running through the basement, and our church was kind of like Troy. We had a, a back stairs that came up from the basement, and you'd go up one little flight, and if you turn left, you went into the, the, the education wing, the, the, the classrooms. Now, there was, that was a gray area. No one was really sure. Could you run in the classrooms or not? The church almost split over that one. You know, do you run in the classrooms? But you turn left, you go to class. You turn right, you go up another set of stairs, and a door came out the back of the sanctuary just, just like it does here. And we were running around, and I, someone was chasing me or something, or I was trying to hide, and, and I ran up the stairs, and I turned right and went up the stairs to the sanctuary. And, and so I'm at the back. And I come flying out without thinking, and I'm running, and I get about halfway down the aisle, and there's Lottie Borland standing at the back, not holding the baby. Everyone turned to look. And <laughs> no, no. But she's standing at the back. You guys can, maybe you've lived this moment. She's got her arms folded. She's got her glasses down a little bit, looking over her glasses at me. And I froze. And this is what I did. Maybe she didn't see me. I mean, if she saw me, but, but I'm thinking maybe she doesn't know who I am. Lottie had gone to that church her whole life. She actually was a great lady, just a sweetheart. But, but she had that look like, I, how, how dare you run in the house of God? And all hopes that maybe she didn't recognize who it was were dashed when she said, Tim Champ, you know I'm going to have to call your mom. Now, I, I know I'm kind of making light of this, and it's funny because it really is true. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's how things went back then. Uh, but, but I wonder if there's times we don't think, 
even if we don't give it a lot of thought to it, if we haven't really just said, yeah, that's who God is, I wonder if that's not how we think God is and that's not how we think Jesus is. And yet Jesus said of himself, hey, here's a pillar. We have a Savior. And this is what he says. We have a son who isn't here to condemn. Why did he say that? See, it would have been okay if Jesus says, uh, God sent his son into the world to save the world. And while I'm here, I'm going to point out that you guys are making some mistakes. And I'm going to point out where you're wrong. And I'm going to tell you what you need to do right. And I'm going to make sure you understand, hey, that, that's bad. Don't do you know, if he had said that, we could buy into that. And, and the reality is Jesus did point out areas that we need to change, and that, that's not in question at all. But, but why did Jesus say, why, why is a pillar of what we need to believe, Jesus said, the Son came not to condemn. Now, now the reality is we know there's a judgment. Uh, in fact, all you have to do is read the next verse, and he talks he actually talks about that we condemn ourselves if we don't believe. So, so there's judgment. We know Scripture talks about that. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. That plainly speaks that there's, coming, there, there's a coming judgment. Romans 14.10 says, For we will all stand before, the, before God's judgment seat. It's very plain. There's going to be judgment. Matthew 25, 31 and 32. Jesus giving the, 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 the parable of separating the sheep and goats says, For the Son of Man, or when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. He'll separate the people one from another as the shepherd separate the sheep from the goats. There will be judgment. We, we do have to answer for what we do. It is important if we believe or not believe. But why? Why did Jesus say, why did he say as this pillar uh, that he didn't come to condemn? Well, a little bit of the hint might be found in the word that Jesus used. Now, I looked, I looked, I think, at six or seven different uh, versions of, uh, of the New Testament, different translations, and every one of them used the word condemn. Maybe, you, maybe you're reading something today and it uses a different word. But every one, I, I looked at the NIV that I have, the RSV, the, uh, the, the Christian Standard, the uh, ESV, uh, uh, King James. Uh, they all say the same thing, condemn. But the reality is that word might better, or at least has this connotation, uh, a, a different connotation, and it, has, it means the word judge. So not just condemn, but how also has this idea of I didn't come to the world to judge the world. Um, there were several words that Jesus could have used that we would translate condemn. For instance, he could have used the word kata gnosko. Kata means against and gnosko means to know. Uh, kata gnosko had the idea of condemning uh, and thinking ill of. If I think ill of someone, if I look down on someone, I would use the word kata gnosko. He could have used the word kata diasko, which kata is against and diasko is justice. Uh, it has kind of the connotation of you're guilty. So Jesus could have said, I didn't come in the world to, to, to condemn, to say to you, you're guilty, you messed up, you're wrong, you're guilty. He didn't use that word. Instead, he uses the, the Greek word krino, which is better translated, or at least can be translated 
to judge. Now, let me, let me give you another example of where that word's used, and maybe that'll help you understand why he chose that and what he meant, why he said he didn't come to condemn. Uh, you know the story. I assume most everyone knows the story from John chapter 8. If you don't, uh, open up the Gospel of John, go to chapter 8, read about the first 10, 12 verses. It's a story of the woman caught in adultery. And we know that story that, that, that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, uh, Nicodemus might have been a part of that group that time, I don't know. Um, but, but they brought a lady who had been caught in adultery, they threw him at Jesus' feet, and they, say, they said to Jesus, you know what the law says. The law says that she's to be stoned. What do you think we should do, Jesus? Now, they knew, they knew that Jesus was living in such a way and teaching in such a way that he wasn't condemning people. He wasn't going around telling people how bad they were. Instead, he was loving on people and, 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 and pouring into people's lives. So that's kind of why they did this. What, what, what do you say, Jesus? What should we do? Now, we know how the story goes. Jesus went, bent, bent over and began writing in the ground and the sand, and they all one by one walked away. And then when they were all gone, Jesus said this uh, this uh, to the lady. He says, uh, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Her, her response, no one, sir. And then Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. The, the Greek word for condemn there, it's a little bit different, but it's the Greek word katakrino. So, so it's, it's really the same word. It's krino. Katakrino was just kind of a supercharged version of krino. It's just putting a little more oomph into it. So what Jesus was saying when he said to this lady, neither do I condemn you. Now, now he was judging her. He knew that there was sin in her life. That's why he said, go and sin no more. He, he knew that she needed to make changes in her life. It's not like he was saying, do what you want to do. It's no big deal. That's not what he was saying. He said, go, hey, leave that life of sin that, that got you right here today anyway. But he said, neither do I neither do I condemn you, neither do I judge you. And you know what he really was saying there? He was saying, I'm not writing you off. What he was saying was, I, I can see you and you still have worth. See, he knew she was a sinner. Catch this. He knew that she was a sinner, but it didn't affect the way he saw her. Jesus was choosing to not see the sin and instead to see the sinner, to see the person. See, Jesus didn't come. That's why he said God sent his son not to condemn. He didn't come to to shout at us, you're a sinner, you're a loser, you'll never amount to anything, you're worthless, I can't do anything with you, I can never love you. That's not at all what he came Jesus didn't come to say, you've messed up and you've blown it. Instead, Jesus came because he already knew that we messed up and that we would blow it. He, he, he came not to inform us of that. He came because that was the truth. He came not to tell us we were wrong, but because we were wrong. So, so we have a Savior, first of all, who doesn't. He doesn't condemn, and he doesn't judge us as if we're not worthy of him, if nothing can be made for us. Instead, we have a Savior who does. We have a Savior who delivers us, and, and we all need deliverance. We need deliverance from sin. There, the, 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 the reality is there's no way that we could ever do enough good to earn our own deliverance. There's no way 
that, that we could do enough to have God look at us in a favorable light. Our sin separates us from God and separates us from Him. And there's nothing we could ever do. There's not, not enough good stuff that we could ever do to pay that price. In fact, uh, Isaiah 64, 6 says, All of us come, have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Compared to God, no matter what we do, it's not enough. We can't give enough money. You could sign your paycheck over to the church. You could sell your house and come set it on the stage and say, God, is that enough? And God's just simply going to say, do you, do you see those thousand hills over there? All the cattle on those hills are mine. That's nothing to me. We can never give enough money. We can never serve enough people. We could volunteer for every opportunity to serve. We could spend all of our free time feeding the poor, visiting the sick, loving the unloved, but it would never be enough to cover our sin. We could, we could go on mission trips galore. We could, we could give ourselves to, to service. We could do kind acts. We could love on people all the time, and it would never be enough. It would never be enough to cover our sin. Our sin separates us from God. So God sent a son to save us. And we need deliverance, not just from sin, but we need deliverance from, from self. We need deliverance from ourself. We need deliverance from the things that keep us from God. We, we try hard in the church. It's one of our faults in the church. One of many things we do wrong. We try very hard in the church to present ourselves like we've got it all together. Like we don't have any flaws, or we don't have any problems, or we don't have any doubts, or we don't have any struggles. But the truth is, we all are in need of deliverance from ourselves. Let me, let me illustrate it uh, this way. Would you take just a second, just kind of glance around and see who's sitting by you. Some of you, some of you are sitting by your kids, so this may not apply here, uh, what I'm going to say next. But see some people that are not family around. See, see people that, you, you know, here is the truth. You, you may not realize that. Some of you probably don't think this is true. But those people that are sitting around you, you know what? They are messed up. Would you do something for me? Turn to one of those people. Would you just say to them, hey, you are messed up. Just go ahead. Now be, be prepared. They're going to say that right back to you. And they are. I was waiting for someone to get up and go across the room to tell someone. Hey, Tim said, here's my chance. You are. Here, here's the reality. Don't we all. Some of you got in that just a tear, uh, tad too much. Uh. Man, we're, we're all messed up. Every one of us. And so then we need a Savior that will save us from ourselves. See, in the church, we struggle with addictions. I wish we were different, but we struggle with drugs and alcohol and pornography and eating and shopping. We struggle with addictions in the church. We struggle with weaknesses in the church. We gossip. We we get angry. We, we're, we're motivated by pride. We have greed. We have envy. Man, we're messed up. We, we wish it wasn't true, but we have failure in the church, failure at work, failure at marriage, failure at parenting, just kind of generically failure at life sometimes. But we have a Savior who doesn't condemn us, who... And, doesn't look at us and say, no, you're a lost cause. That's really what he's saying there. But instead, a Savior who delivers us, who does deliver us. 
Leonard DeBar, uh, John, you guys can come on up. Leonard DeBar was a senior pastor at uh, Calvary Christian Church in Baton Rouge. I was a youth minister there for a couple years, and Leonard uh, told me this story, uh, and kind of a life-changing story for him. He said said he was out in the Atchafalaya Basin. The Atchafalaya Basin is a, a series of swamps, or basically just a huge swamp that goes from, from uh, about, about mid-Louisiana all the way down to the Gulf Coast, and it is a series of swamps and canals, and, and, and it is full of all kinds of wildlife, alligators, certainly lots of fish, but alligators, snakes, all kinds of weird stuff. And Leonard was, was, was fishing in the Atchafalaya Basin with a guy from our church there in Baton Rouge called Lloyd Blanchard. Lloyd was a, a, a great Cajun Christian. I mean, this, this guy had that Cajun uh, uh, southern accident going on, accident going on, and he was a great man of God, but he loved to hunt and fish, and he spent a lot of his weeks staying out at a cabin in the Chafalaya Basin, and he invited Leonard to go fishing with him one day. They were just going to go for the day. That when, when it started to get dark, they would leave and come back home. And so Leonard said they were out in the basin. said when he left that Lloyd's camp, Lloyd just started going down canal after canal, and, and it didn't take long. And Leonard said, I had no idea where I was. I mean, but he didn't worry because Lloyd did. Lloyd lived out there. He knew where things were. And he said, said it started to get dark. The sun just started to set in the west, and, and the, the mosquitoes were just starting to, to buzz a little bit. And, and uh, Leonard, uh, Lloyd looked over Leonard and said, well, we better head back. And said they fired up the, the boat of the, the little John boat, the motor of the little John boat they were in, and they started heading down these swamps, making turns and co- corners. And said they got partway back and suddenly Leonard reached over or Lloyd reached over and turned off the motor to the, the boat and they kind of coasted to a stop and Leonard said I thought maybe that Lloyd was going to offer some information you know kind of a teaching moment kind of point something out and so he said we sat there quietly in the boat he just kept waiting for that moment to come and he just sat there finally Lloyd turned around or, or Leonard turned around and Lloyd's in the back and he looked at him and kind of questioningly and Lloyd said, Leonard, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know where I'm at. Leonard said, he's sitting there thinking, well, if you don't know where we're at, I certainly don't know where we're at. And and Leonard first thought it was sure he just he just kidding me. He's but but it was it was painfully clear that Lloyd Lloyd's eyes had just had a little bit of a lost look. And Leonard said, man, I began to panic. I'm in the middle of the Atchafalaya Basin. I'm in the middle of a swamp. The, the sun has now set, and it's darkness is descending. And, and you begin to hear all the noises of the basin. You could hear a splash. And Leonard said, with each splash, was that an alligator? With each, with each little swirl of the water, was that a water moccasin? And the water moccasins were as big as your arm uh, in the Atchafalaya Basin. With each, each skrill, was that heard that there's panthers that live in the basin he didn't know but with each squill scream was, was that a was that a a, a a panther that might be coming and he said i sat there and now the mosquitoes started to swarm and i'm sitting there thinking what i am totally lost said so they sat there for just a couple more minutes and suddenly lloyd's lloyd's eyes popped open he reached back and started the started the motor up there on the boat and said, I, I remember where I'm at now. And off they went, waking their way through the canals back to his cabin. 
Leonard said what he didn't know then, what Lloyd didn't know then, he was getting a blockage in one of his carotid arteries and it was blocking the blood flow to the brain and he was having, Leonard found out later, he'd been having these time, from time to time, these, those moments of, of, of confusion. But Leonard said when he looked back on that story, when he looked back on the event, he said, I've never felt so lost. I've never felt so in need of deliverance. Jesus, pillar number one is we have a Savior. Because the truth is we're lost. Reality is we're all messed up. We all have sin in our life. We all have things that are pulling and holding us down. We all are in need of deliverance. We'll just turn to the one that knows the way. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you this morning that Jesus is our Savior. And he's a Savior that doesn't condemn us. There's a day that he will judge us. Yes, your scripture says that. But he doesn't look at us and decide already that we're not worth it. He doesn't look at us and say we are a lost cause. He looks at us instead and sees, even in the midst of our sin, he sees hope and he sees a promise. And he sees that we can become a child of the Father. Lord, we we pray that we will embrace that pillar that Jesus doesn't condemn us but does deliver us salvation. Father, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know that, that isn't confident in that, that doesn't believe that in heart, Father, just put it on their heart today to surrender, to surrender to you in Jesus' name.